This morning marks the, the fifth of six Sundays uh, that we have walked through this series, Live a Contagious Life Together. Um, and each of the, the messages that Jeff has shared uh, up to this point has been about some, and today's will continue that same theme, some style of evangelism. Um, if you're part of Life Group at the church, we've been looking at the material, Becoming a Contagious Christian, together. And today, our Life Groups walk through a, a training, equipping them, providing them some tools, and the people that were there today, some tools to use when it comes time to sit down and actually share the gospel with someone. And someone says, I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior but I don't know how to do that. And there are some tools that you can, can walk through. But everything we've talked to up to this point, the, the intellectual style, the testimonial style, the, the interpersonal style, and the, the first message that Jeff shared, the direct style, all, all talk about and all focus on verbally sharing our faith with somebody around us and interacting with someone face-to-face, one-on-one in family settings, in work settings, in your home, in your office, at your school, in the neighborhood, wherever it is that God has placed you to reach someone and this person that you're, you're feeling called to reach, you, you have an intellectual conversation with them. You know, the conversation might steer itself towards, well, why is Jesus the only way? And that begins a process of looking at Scripture and other teachings about uh, what different religions believe about their way to Jesus. And you have a conversation with them. You know, the testimonial style. You're just sharing your story of God's faithfulness to you and, and what, it, what it means to you to be a believer and how God has changed your life, and you're telling them your story. Last week in Life Group, we learned how to put that together in a process that flows and shows what our life was like before we came to know Christ, uh, what our religious experiences were, how we came to know Christ, and how our life was different after that. Just a real simple formula for putting your, your story together. The direct approach. Uh, Pastor Jeff shared on the first Sunday of this series about Peter and Pentecost and the sermon he preached that day and the way that he directly shared his faith, his faith in Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ uh, with the hundreds and thousands that were gathered there today. And we see the result in Scripture, uh, the numerous ones that were saved and baptized and the foundation of the church as we know it today, the local church. Um, and then next week, you'll hear the invitational style, how you can bring someone with you to church or bring someone with you to a place where the gospel is going to be shared or presented in some way. And then we're going to give you throughout the course of the month of December some ways you can invite people to come to church. But today's message, it's called Your Serve. I played tennis when I was in high school and played all growing up. And so it's a little tennis analogy. You know, you, when it's, and it's not your turn to serve anymore, you'd hand the balls across the net or hit them across and say, you're serve. Or if you're, you're just playing for fun with someone, you hand it over to them. And I feel like this morning that God has, has given us a word and he's sitting here saying to us, it's your serve. It's your turn not, not to talk about your faith, but, but to show your faith. And, and as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded uh, uh, of a little identity crisis that, that a very large company that, that many of you know who they are. Uh, you recognize the blue and green logo in the BP of British Petroleum. You might remember those of you that lived in this area, maybe paid attention in 2010 to the, to the large oil spill that happened when their, their oil rig exploded and, and several lives were lost and others were injured and there was this big oil slick all across the Gulf stretching from the coast of Louisiana all the way down to the coast of Florida and places in Tampa Bay and along that side, the Gulf side of Florida, experienced the effects of that. And because of that disaster, there were, there were two messes that BP had to clean up. The, the literal mess that happened in the Gulf of Mexico 
and the figurative mess that's happened since then, when the perception of their company and the nature of the business they do and the way that they treat their business, the way that people perceive their response to that, they had a little PR mess that they had to clean up. And I wonder this morning if, if we as, as, as members and, and, and people here participating in worship and Bible study and engaged at First Baptist Church Conroe and those of us in the room who are believers, maybe some of you are like me, a lifelong Baptist. Every church I've ever been a part of is a Baptist church. Every school I've ever attended uh, from college on now through grad school has been Baptist universities. I have a strong tie to Baptist life in Texas. And I just wonder if we don't have a little bit of, of a PR crisis going on right now. If we walked onto the streets of Conroe and just spent some time asking some people, what do, you, what do you think about First Baptist Conroe? What do you think about Baptists? What do you think about Christians? I think that probably we would get more answers that we don't like than we do, uh, especially if we engage the kind of people that, that God has called us to reach and engage the kind of people that, that are outside of, of any church background and that are walking this world far from Jesus Christ. They might not have a a positive uh, perception about who we are as a people. And so my question for us this morning is, what do we do about that? You know, you, you've seen commercials and you've seen different initiatives that BP has, has gone into over the last several years to correct the negative perception about everything that happened from that time in 2010 to now. And I just wonder, how are we as Christians, how are we as a church family called uh, to correct, to change the perception that the world has about the church, about Christians, maybe about us uniquely as Baptists, and specifically in our context about First Baptist Conroe, when they may have questions about who we are and what it is that we're about. I think it's a simple statement. It's the title of the message, Your Serve, that, that we are called to serve the world around us. And those actions, those, those ministries, those ways that we choose to engage people uh, for no other motive uh, than to help them, and for no other motive than just to show them that we love them, for no other motive than, than glorifying God, that we would choose to do that in a way that brings the attention not on us or not on First Baptist Conroe or not on even Baptists or not on even Christians, but on God. And we sing a bunch of praises to Him. We're now gathering and reading His Word. We've prayed together. We'll pray together again as we close the service. All of that points our focus and attention back to God. And I just wonder, are there, are there, are there examples you know, in the world, in our lives, and I found several in Scripture, and I found several in this world of, of, of individuals, of individual Christians, of groups of Christians who are doing things to serve in the world. And one of those is, is accounted in Acts chapter 9. If you've got your Bible this morning and you want to turn there, we're going to read, uh, starting in verse 36, we'll read through verse 43. If you don't have a Bible, there'll be words on the screen, and so we'll walk through this together. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and she died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Verse 40, but Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed, turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. 
And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So we get this account of this woman, Tabitha Dorcas. And we see several things about her. There were two words in particular that that when I read through this passage jumped out to me and looked at this passage in preparation for this morning. The first one, in verse 36, the last sentence, she was full of good works. And it didn't say that she did a little bit here and there. It didn't say that she did a thing or two, you know, just to feel good, or it was time for her, her service organization to do their monthly thing or their, their yearly thing, or if it was Thanksgiving time and you, you know, you're thinking about your family and you want to do something for another family or Christmas or, or whatever it might be. It said she was full of good works and acts for charity. She, she chose to serve those around her. And then the second thing I saw is, is who she chose to serve. The reality is this morning is that God has put individuals in our life specifically for the purpose of us serving them. And by serving them, we can show them what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 39, the middle portion of the verse says, all the widows, those are the people that she served. She made the widows in her community, in her area, her people of ministry that she ministered to, that stood beside him and weeping and showing their tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made for them while she was with them. And then I look at the result. What happened? After Peter came and visited her at the request of the other followers of Jesus at this time and, and the formation of the early church and what would have been happening here is they're all together and they're unsure about what to do. And Peter goes in with her and says, arise, prays over her and says, arise. And she comes, comes to and comes back. And he gave his hands to her and he gave her his hand in verse 41 and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa what had happened there, what she had done, how she had served people, how God had raised her up, how this woman of faith had been restored physically. And many believed in the Lord. And I just wonder today if we we come in here and we say, you know what, Alan, I I really can't have an intellectual conversation with someone about faith. I just, I just don't know how to do that. Or I, I really struggle sharing my story. It's, it's, it's not really that powerful. Or I just don't, I'm really comfortable with, with how to talk to people about Jesus. Well, the truth is this morning, as we see in the life of, of Dorcas and we see in Tabitha's life, you don't have to every time. You may have people that are, that are around you that you're rubbing shoulders with at work or at school, your neighbors, that, that you have a way to serve them. You have a way to to meet their needs, to minister to them. Yes, there's a number of different things that we ask you to do at the church. We might ask you to to be a greeter, to sing in the choir, or be in the orchestra, or be in the band, or change the slides at the right time, or go and change a diaper. Uh, As a parent, we, we love our nursery workers and our preschool workers and those who volunteer and those who are paid, our staff, both, uh, because they take great care of our kids while they're there on Sunday morning. Some of you have been asked to come out of your life group and volunteer and help with that. We have a number of different things that we ask you to do to serve in the church. Try to not think about those things right now. Those are all good things, and we don't want you to quit doing those things. But think about out there. When you leave this place, you know the, the, the two to three hours that you're here on Sunday morning and the maybe one to two hours that you're here on Wednesday night provide you an opportunity to serve one another. And we do that out of love. But when we leave this place, the other six days of the week that we're in work or in our homes or with our families as you think about this week and what's in store for you and Thanksgiving, 
we can serve one another. We can be a force for good. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, just before Jesus goes into his Sermon on the Mount, he went about doing some ministry and healing some people. Before he taught them, he met their needs. He ministered to them. He served them. He provides us a perfect example. And we'll close looking at two ways in which he serves us today and the way he has modeled service for us. But what about other churches? What are some things that people are doing to serve their communities? Uh, we've got some church members whose nephew is the pastor of the Met Church just a few, a few miles down the road from us. And they opened up their church uh, as a shelter after Hurricane Harvey. They had at one point, I think, 500 different individuals staying in their church that were either already flooded out or were in danger of being flooded and needed a place to go when they were evacuated, didn't have anywhere else to go. Uh, since that time, since they've closed that shelter and continued their normal operations now on Sunday morning and their, their weekly schedule and their, their life groups and small groups that they have and all that they do, they have seen dozens every Sunday walk to the front of their church and give their lives to Christ. Some of them stayed in the shelter. Some of them did not. Some of them helped. Some of them just heard that the Met Church was doing something great in that area, and they wanted to come and be a part of that. Um, and, and the gentleman in our church that, that was telling me about this, about his nephew and being the pastor of this church, told me that there have been more come to know Christ at the Met Church since Harvey than actually stayed in their church when the shelter was open. Uh, last Sunday, I got a few pictures from my sister. She and her kids and my, my brother-in-law are members of, of Fielder Church in Arlington, church that Candace and I were a part of uh, for over three years from when I was on staff there. And they have, have made it part of their mission uh, to serve their community actively, uh, so much so that they schedule four Sundays a year that they're not at church. Church is locked. Doors are closed. They meet on the parking lot. They have a, a few songs and a prayer time. And then they go out in the community and they serve in a number of different places all over Arlington and all over Grand Prairie where they now have a second campus. And last Sunday, just one week removed from the shooting in Sutherland Springs, they've got members of their church who are related to the wife of the pastor of that church. And they're out there overcoming evil in this world with good. Uh, Dallas area news agencies got wind of it, uh, sent some camera crews there be a part of it. Rain's coming down. My sister's, one of the pictures was, was her holding our, our one-year-old, almost one-year-old nephew in her little carrier while she's working. You see men and women with their umbrellas, with their ponchos on, serving the Lord uh, because God had called this church family to do that. Uh, right here in our own church, just this, just this morning, uh, four families finished up spending the week at the church as part of the Family Promise Ministry. Uh, that we host. There are people from our community who are in transitional and home, out of homelessness and in back into acclimation and getting jobs and things like that. And so we are one of the sponsor churches for that and open up uh, some area in our church where they can stay for a week. Uh, so they rotate from church to church a week at a time and go through a program. And, and some of you through your life group provided dinner for those people, uh, provided a, a couple to spend the night in our church just so that someone from our church is here at all times with them, or you provided the people to, to meet them at five o'clock when they uh, came off work or the kids got back from school and they came over from the, the Family Promise Day Center, and, and you provide meals and support for that. And our church as a family and our missions and ministry budget supports Family Promise financially each month. Uh, several years ago, we made a commitment to minister to people uh, right in our, our local community, right here around our church, who are, are wanting to learn the English language, starting a ministry called Literacy First. Some of you volunteer on Tuesday morning or Wednesday night or Thursday morning and help with that ministry. Um, out of that ministry, people have, have become citizens of the United States. 
uh, but more importantly, people have given their lives to Christ and become a citizen uh, of an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. Um, And we're excited uh, that we get to minister and to serve people in that way. Um, Every Wednesday that we have a church meal um, at 4 o'clock, we serve a dinner to homeless people in our community. Uh, There are a couple of couples from our church that show up about 3.30 every Wednesday to get things ready for that. Mary, our cook, while she's cooking for Wednesday night, she's also cooking that meal. Several of our staff, we make rotation through there and visit with people and get to know people and learn about their lives. And I'd invite any of you, if you want a real way to serve someone in ministry, uh, take off work early on a Wednesday afternoon and come hang out with us or schedule your day in a way that you can get here a little early for Wednesday night church and be a part of those conversations. Uh, Because God's giving us an opportunity to meet needs and minister to people and serve people in a way that they want to respond to. And they can see that people who talk about their faith also live that faith out and see that faith play out in action. But the question that I want us to answer today is not just what we can do to serve one another, but it's how should we serve one another. When we're looking at these boards and we're praying for, for individuals who are sharing their faith, and may not be comfortable with the intellectual style. They may not be so sure about their testimony or their, their interpersonal relationship with this person is, is unique and challenging. And maybe, maybe serving them, maybe choosing to do something solely for the purpose of seeing that person see faith in action is the way that, that you feel God leading you to meet a need. Then how should we do that? How should we go about achieving that? What should be our attitude, our approach with that? And I think that Scripture teaches us four things very clearly. The first thing is this. We need to make the decision and the commitment to serve, to glorify God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul writes, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You go back to, to, to Tabitha's story. We don't get a whole lot about it, but we see that something has happened and she's ill, uh, reached a stage of life where she can't live anymore. And, and then God even in through that, God is glorified. You know, she doesn't get praise heaped on her. She doesn't, get, she doesn't get a lot of accolades. She doesn't get an award, a community service award, or a medal, or a star, or a trophy. But she gets so much more than that because she gets the reward of people that she, she knew and she loved and she served, giving their lives to Jesus Christ because she did it to glorify God. Another thing that we're called to do is we're called to serve unconditionally. You know, many times we may have the attitude of, of, of doing things a little begrudgingly, feeling like we have to because it's on a list of things we've got to do. We've got to check it off. We've got to, got to move on to the next thing. You know, I know that, that I appreciate uh, that, that I know when my, my daughter's in the preschool hall and she may be, be difficult to handle sometimes on a Sunday morning. Uh, she may be difficult to handle a lot of times. Uh, you may, those of you that are parents of little ones know that, that your screaming baby might be over there right now and someone is volunteering uh, to care for them. Uh, we ask our life groups every once in a while to provide support from their group to the already uh, regular team of volunteers over there. And so you may say, okay, I guess if I have to. And so I see that God's Word's teaching us to, to change our mindset and to, and to serve those around us unconditionally, not doing it for recognition, not doing it for, for fame or power or authority over anyone that we might serve. We're going to serve whether they respond or not. And Tabitha didn't know that. I mean, she passed away. She's out before these people come to know God. And God does something miraculous in and through her life. And people are saved. So she did it unconditionally. Galatians 5.13 tells us, For you were called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh, but through love, unconditional agape love, serve one another. See, as you, as you immerse yourself in serving those around you, you pair yourself up with the unconditional love that God shows you. You then share that same love. You can't serve someone without loving them, and you can't love someone without serving them. And so as you, as you seek to serve people, as you look for ways to serve people, as you trust God and His leadership, commit to God that you would serve unconditionally. Just as we serve to glorify God, as we seek to serve unconditionally, we also are called to serve wholeheartedly. This theme of full devotion to God is present all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites are receiving their instruction from God in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, Now, O Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? We are called, we are commanded as God's people to serve God with everything we've got and to serve those around us. And then in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is talking, he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. See, his call to service was unique because not only did he, he physically do things and, and minister and meet people, but he was called to serve by giving his life as a sacrifice, as a ransom for you and me. For those that are here today, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe that's, that's where you are today. You're waiting for that moment in your life and God's waiting to reach out to you and say, this is what I did for you. And then Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. See, so many times we get wrapped up and, and how are they going to receive this and how is this person going to respond when I serve them and oh, I hope they appreciate it. And, oh, I hope they write me a thank you note to remember to do that. But the reality is, we're not even really doing it for them. We're doing it for God because that's one of God's children. And God has called us to see His people the way that He sees them and to serve Him the way that He would serve, serve them. And so we do, we do service. We do ministry. We do it wholeheartedly. We do it unconditionally. And we do it to glorify God. And then the last one, we serve with a purpose. You see in Tabitha's story, she was full of good works. And she served the widows and she made clothes. She made things for them. She was very specific and pointed in what she did and how she ministered to people. And I just love the, the, the number of ministries we have in our church and how, how, how purposeful they are and, and how they, they, they marry up our belief in Scripture and the, the theology and the understanding that we have of who God is and who His Son is and how we put together shoeboxes with toys in them and the gospel pre presentation included in it and, and send that overseas. I think there's a thank you in the worship guide. I don't know if it's today or maybe next week uh, coming. I think it's in next week's worship guide coming that, that our church uh, and connections to our church did over 700 shoeboxes uh, for Operation Christmas Child this year. Uh, so that's 700 children plus that are going to be uh, receiving Christmas gifts this year that wouldn't normally receive them. But more importantly, they're going to receive the truth of the gospel because a group of people uh, came together for a purpose to serve, just like Tabitha did, just like Jesus did when he ministered. Over the course of 2018, we're going to give you, uh, each one of you, an opportunity to find your purpose in God's mission. We're going to help equip you and train you and realize that so that we as individuals can go out into the community and serve. And then that will help us as a church family serve our community in a more purposeful and, 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 and a more effective way uh, through, a, through a group of meetings called the Missional Pathway. 
Uh, we'll be able to see that and come to, to experience that together through a couple of church-wide gatherings next spring and then a couple more next fall um, as we begin this process of equipping one another and being equipped uh, to serve on God's mission. And so as you think about how to serve, serve to glorify God, serve unconditionally, serve wholeheartedly, and serve with a purpose. You know, last week I counted there were 172, I think was the number of cards. I know that others have been placed on there today, so we're getting close to, to 200 cards on these boards up here at the front. Some of them have multiple initials. Uh, one I counted, I think, had 12 sets of initials on there that somebody was, was reaching out to these people. So well over 200 individuals that God has called the people of First Baptist Conroe to reach. Some of you haven't had a chance to place your card yet. You've got one or more people on your mind and on your heart that you're praying for. You've written the name down and you've kept that card uh, in your Bible so you can see that or you've shared with your life group to be praying. There, there are probably you know, well over 200, maybe close to 250 people committed to reaching others in our church and probably well over 300 people that God has called us to reach. And my question to you is this, as a, as a way, as a takeaway from today's, today's message is, how can you serve that person? How can you serve those people this week? What can you do for them to show them? You may have had a conversation with them about your faith. You may have not. They may have asked you about your faith. They may have not. But what can you do to serve them? And will you commit to praying uh, for yourself uh, and for those around you as God shows us ways we can serve those that He's called us to reach? You know, Jesus served the disciples in a very powerful way. He bent down uh, one evening with them as they had been traveling, and he began to wash their feet. They were all kind of waiting awkwardly for, for the lowest person on the totem pole to do that. That was the tradition of that time. And Jesus, by far the highest person on the totem pole in the room, took the lowest position and took the towel, and took the outer garment off, and began washing the disciples' feet. He showed them how to serve people. Uh, and then just a short time later, he went to the cross uh, and he provided the ultimate act of service for you and I. And, and today, if there's, if there's even one person in this room today who, who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I want you to know this, that, that Jesus Christ in serving you and serving me and serving us with the greatest act of service ever known to man, He died a death in our place, in my place and in yours, so that we could each be reconciled to the Father. See, our sin separates us from God and that sacrifice, that blood that was spilled out and that body that was broken, that sacrifice of Jesus, that ultimate act of, of service, it glorified God. It was unconditional. God's love for us was made perfectly clear to us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. He did it wholeheartedly. He gave everything He had, every ounce of sweat and blood that He had, He shed for us on the cross. And He did so with a purpose. Uh, so that you and I could be made right with God. And so this morning, maybe you're not at the place where you're ready to, to share your faith with someone else by serving, but you're ready to start your faith today. You're ready to follow Jesus. See, the question that I have for you is this, would you follow Jesus today? See, Jesus served us perfectly, and He's calling you to follow Him. For those that know Him, He's calling you to serve in the manner that which He served, to glorify God in all that we do for those around us, to serve unconditionally, to serve wholeheartedly, and to serve with a purpose.